Hello everyone and welcome to the 11th episode of Immunology and Beyond. Today we're going to be interviewing Dr. Anthony Rulo, who is an assistant professor at the McMaster Immunology Research Center. Just a brief background about Dr. Rulo, he completed his master's at McMaster University where he engaged in structural carbohydrate chemistry and polysaccharide vaccine development. He then proceeded to complete his doctoral training at the University of Toronto where he developed fluorescent chemical probes for a complex of glycosaminoglycan binding interactions in addition to new bio-orthogonal affinity labeling strategies. Strategies. He then proceeded to conduct his postdoctoral research at Yale University where he developed small molecules for anti-cancer immunotherapeutic approaches. He is now currently at McMaster University where he's using basic molecular science and translational cancer therapeutic research on the interface of chemistry and tumor immunology. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Dr. Anthony Rulo. So to start off, we first wanted to know, get to know a little bit more about yourself and get to know a little bit more about your background. Um, we, we know that you started your BSc here at McMaster. Could you talk us through that and a little bit more about your journey into uh, your master's and then PhD? Sure. Um, so um, I, I, was born in, I was born at McMaster. I grew up in Hamilton. Um, I went to two high schools in Hamilton. I know I'm going a little bit farther back than you asked. Went to uh, Hillfield, which is a high school in Hamilton, um, up till grade 11. And then in grade 12, I transferred to St. Mary's, which is just down the street from McMaster, um, and then went to McMaster. I mean, you know, you're, we're pretty lucky when you've got a, a, you know, a leading university that's so close to, so close to home and where all your friends are and family, right? And so I went to McMaster. And started off in first year. Actually, I started off in first year music. Believe it or not, I had a I had a music scholarship. My my plans were always to pursue sciences at university, but I actually had a mu- a full music scholarship um, because I was a violinist in my former life, which is a little something that most people don't know about me. I did competitive violin performance for well since I was three, up until. Um, McMaster, and then I kind of made this made the switch. Um, so I took science electives and music courses. Had a really really hard time with a course called Harmony. It's still to this day I think the hardest course I've ever taken in my life. So that's basically a course that where you learn how to compose. So there's certain rules in composition. So in second year I transferred to biochemistry. Um, I really was not sure what I wanted to do. I did not have a a clear academic plan um, because my whole life had been directed at like solo performance, right? So I knew I liked science. um, And so I started to pursue it. I liked the molecular sciences early, I remember. And so I basically took a bunch of electives across chemistry and um, and biochemistry core courses. And yeah, and then pretty much uh, continued on, finished the undergrad in biochemistry, where I started to discover my real passion was 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 more towards the chemistry side of biochemistry, um, in a in a in a field that's now known as chemical biology, but that didn't exist exist then. It was, you know, you pretty much, if you were interested in in the molecular sciences that had to do with biology, it was pretty much you became an organic chemist, right, and made drugs, learned how to synthesize small molecule compounds, you know, with, with big applications and therapeutics. Um, or you became a biochemist and focused on gene engineering, protein therapeutics, right? So it was it was kind of like two extremes of what I was really interested in. And so I took a course 
at McMaster in third year um, called bioorganic chemistry in the in the uh, one of the one of the core chemistry classes. But I took it as an elective because I was in biochemistry. Um, and by the way, kind of it's kind of funny. I ended up teaching that class now. And that class um, called bioorganic um, was really resonated with my interests. And so I didn't really discover what I really liked academically until late in my third year. Um, and so that prompted me to apply to some programs, some graduate programs that were starting to do this kind of chemistry on the fringe of biochemistry, okay, that later became chemical biology as we know it. And so uh, Guelph had an interesting program in carbohydrate chemistry and developing carbohydrate vaccines, okay? And so I spent two years at Guelph figuring out what the carbohydrate structures were on the surface of certain infectious bacteria. So it's kind of like puzzle solving. So I did that for about two years. Um, and then my, my kind of passion in this area of chemical biology just grew and grew and grew. And I decided to pursue a PhD um, at the University of Toronto. It actually took a professor because um, I was actually quite happy at Guelph, and I liked what I was doing. It was interesting the way things worked out. A prof I, I had reached out to, I had a, reached out to a couple of faculty at U of T that were doing some stuff I was interested in, and then I decided I maybe wasn't going to apply to U of T. And then one of the professors close to the deadline emailed me again and said, "You know, you should really consider this." And then I thought, "Okay, yeah, I really should." And so I ended up at University of Toronto. And then, yeah, so I mean, a lot of this process for me was very much kind of discovery based. There was no master plan. It was really um, a series of, I don't know, serendipitous events. And all I really had through it all was, was a passion for the sciences that I was doing. And I just followed that. I don't know if that really makes sense. I, I know that I think it was I think maybe for me it was a little different because I had come from such a different background of music for so long that I kind of went into the sciences with a very open mind and and just kind of pursued what I was passionate about and followed that kind of journey, if you want to think about it mm -hmm. that way. Followed that path. No, yeah, that's really interesting. My first question is actually, do you still play the violin now? Oh, I have to sadly I don't very often. I've got two little girls and once in a while I pull it out to play them some songs, but it's pretty sad. It's something I'd like to get back into again. I used to be in the Mac Orchestra actually when I was an undergrad. Yeah, solo performance was too stressful. So I <laughs> so, more stressful than running a love, would you say? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Standing in front of a thousand people by yourself playing an hour of memorized music is very, um, very stressful. And so my other question was, did you end up doing any sort of research during your undergrad or was it mainly the theory and the courses that really like solidified your passion? It was, it was really a theory. I did do some fourth year research um, in an area of kind of analytical type chemistry where we worked to develop tools to kind of profile certain metabolites. So kind of in the diagnostic space. Yeah, I would say it was really more, it was really more the concepts and the theory of this kind of new, newish area of chemical biology fusing these organic chemistry, physical chemistry with, with, with biochemistry that really hooked me. And so I pursued that further. And is that topic something that you were looking into during your PhD? Because I know in your master's, it was more like, uh, making like the vaccines that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Is that something you explored more into depth in your PhD? Absolutely. And so in my PhD, I went into the, the, the chemistry department um, to pursue a PhD in chemistry, in organic chemistry. 
in one of the labs there that had this biological angle. And so in contrast to the kind of work you would do in a traditional organic chemistry lab, we made molecules, but for biological reasons. And so we did a lot of work developing sensors and probes. So, so molecules that you can use to detect a target protein or biomolecule in a complex biological environment, right? So sensors, probes, fluorescence. It did a lot of this stuff. Yes. And then in the PhD, yeah, it, it's interesting how one thing led to another. And so in the PhD, I discovered you know, I really enjoyed being able to develop chemical tools to learn something about biology, whereas traditional organic chemistry is more focused on coming up with new chemical reactions so that you can make more diverse building blocks for a variety of reasons, or being able to synthesize really complex natural products. Okay, This branch of chemistry focused more on trying to develop tools that you could use to interrogate or understand biological processes. And so nearing the end of that PhD, I, I came across, um, I was involved in, in a project that developed chemical reactions you could use that would allow you to selectively modify biological proteins. So this kind of idea of being able to do chemistry in a biological setting, not in a reaction flask. And when you can do that, you can equip a biomolecule with all kinds of unique properties and functions that it naturally doesn't have. And that's useful when you want to try and understand how it works in its natural environment. So that was pretty much the PhD. Um, there, there was definitely a lot of challenges in the PhD, a ton of, a ton of hardships, a lot of, a lot of eureka moments, um, a lot of agony and ecstasy up and down, but it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the problem solving of it. I really enjoyed learning the concepts, performing the experiments, analyzing the data, formulating hypotheses, you know. So I lived in a, in a, I lived in a condo on Bay Street, close to Bay and College. And so college is like a wind tunnel. And I would walk along college to St. George where the chemistry department was. And in the winters, it was so cold you know, it's it took my it took my face about ten minutes to thaw when I got into the building. And most of those days, the results were worse than when I went there the the day before. And I remember asking myself when the wind was blistering my face, you know, I would have better data if I stayed home because I'm just going to go in and prove everything that I thought was right wrong today. And many times that happened. Um, and so that's why I think to pursue a PhD in science. In a career in science, I really think the most important thing is that you really, really, and I, this might even sound cliche, but you really like what you're doing. You're not thinking so much about you know, how much money am, am I going to be able to earn in 20 years doing this or what kind of recognition will I get or awards because all of that fades so fast. And it's just not enough, I think, to, to, to really make it worth your while. I think you really have to enjoy the day-to-the-day -day endeavor. And then what comes from it comes from it. But because you really like what you're doing every day, you can't lose. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of the approach that I took um, because there's so many unknowns. You know, if I was really, really focused on a career outcome at that stage, it would have been so difficult because every everything that, that you know, that fails, you know, you perceive that as taking you farther away from your end goal, right? Whereas I tried to enjoy the process, the journey of it. And I think that that, that really helped me persevere and get the most out of it because it is a really valuable training experience that really helps you, you know, really improve a lot of um, a lot of facets of yourself in many ways outside of just your research project, right? You learn how to problem solve, you learn how to endure, you learn how to work with other people, right? And you build characteristics and you become, you know, sharper. It's a great training opportunity that will really serve you well in a, a number of different things, you know. 
I found myself being better at solving problems around the house when I was doing a PhD. Do you know what I mean? Like I could mm-hmm. see that I could see that I that something about the training was improving certain attributes of myself that carried on into my everyday life, right? You could have a more logical conversation with somebody about a completely unrelated topic, right? Because you're you're learning how to think and problem solve and apply and synthesize concepts, right? And so I always thought this can't be a bad thing, regardless of where it leads. I was just going to ask, where do you think this passion or like arose from? Because you're someone who came from someone who was very dedicated to music. And then you said you made this shift. Mm-hmm. So where do you think that really that passion for science came from? Was it something that gradually developed as you went on through your journey? Or was it something that you just were passionate to learn new things? And that's what you stuck to. That's a great question. I don't know where it came from. I think I always liked analysis. I think I always liked applying concepts and bridging gaps. Do you know what I mean? Perhaps something about the way that you kind of learn how to take on a really complex, you know, composition or piece of music. Maybe maybe there's a lot of parallels there to molecular sciences that that are behind some of this. I I really it's a hard question to hard question to answer. I'm not really sure where the passion for science came from. I just knew that I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed being able to understand some key principles and then apply those principles and figure out new things using those those core sets of principles. And then during your PhD, if we can dive just a little bit deeper into that, because you did mention that there was a lot of ups, but then there was also a lot of downs. What were some of the ups then? What were some of the key moments for you during that time? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, there was definitely the scientific ups. Right. There was the project ups when you figure out a problem that's incredibly exhilarating, almost addictive work. You know, for me, also working with other graduate students, um, the camaraderie of that, I really enjoyed. I loved the camaraderie with my fellow, the other students that were in my cohort, talking science with them, going to seminars, learning together. That was really, really fun for me. The learning aspect was incredibly fun for me. You know, understanding something that was really hard to grasp was very satisfying. Applying that to a pro- to solve a problem in a research project was incredibly satisfying. Sure, the you know when you get a publication, it's it's really exciting. But um, you know, usually by the time you get that publication, you're so worn out from the process that it's not as enjoyable as you had envisioned it would have been. And so it's really it's really making those key discoveries that I found were the most rewarding. And the and the publication was almost like the fruit of your labor. It wasn't the goal. However, you know, things are changing and becoming more competitive, and now things are much more paper-oriented. But when I was getting into this, the papers were still not the biggest focus, whereas now it's become much more paper-focused, right, which has its pros and cons, I think. Yeah, and so, you know, the systems that we were working with, using kind of complex biological molecules like peptides, sugars, um, the systems almost never behaved as well as we had thought they would have. Um, and so it was very it was very satisfying to figure out why things were going wrong. Um, but one of the things that really, that was a, was a real obstacle for me in my research was that there was a lot of aggregation, actually. A lot of the tools that we were developing to probe biology actually had a propensity to aggregate with each other and the biomolecules aggregated. So probably you... You know, if you've ever worked with proteins, you might notice under certain buffer conditions, right, it precipitates or, you know, things of that nature, um, certain storage conditions, maybe concentrate it the wrong way and it precipitates, right? So we had a lot of this type of, a lot of this um, going on 
because we were working with biomolecules, right? And biomolecules are very sensitive, right? They misfold, they aggregate. Now, oftentimes those properties have real biological consequences, right? Like neurodegeneration. That all has to do with proteins misfolding and aggregating. And so by us really chasing down what was going wrong, we really learned a lot about how these molecules behave, right? And we were able to make some really cool fundamental contributions. Mm -hmm. So you were able to take something that was not really working the way you intended and then kind of shift that on its axis right. and then push forward a different type of research? Absolutely. You generate new hypotheses and devise a set of new strategies, right? For us, oftentimes the, the, the final paper wasn't about what the project was intended to address, right? We ended up discovering some new cool things that were useful that we would publish on. Um, and so that process, this, you know, the spontaneity and the unexpected of that was very um, attractive and I enjoyed it. I guess that ends the PhD sort of related questions and I'll pass it you over to Dom who's gonna cover more of the postdoc. Absolutely. Okay, thanks Anna. So in terms of at the end of your PhD really, what were some of your options moving forward? So, and why did you decide to stay in academia? You know, because I had, you know, because I had really enjoyed the PhD process, it's not, it's not that, you know, I really published a heck of a lot in the PhD. So it wasn't really the, the papers that had hooked me to continue. Again, it was really what I had learned and how much I enjoyed the topics and the concepts and the research that, that really drove me to continue. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't really to chase some sort of reward. So yeah, it really was kind of just a fundamental curiosity and enjoyment that I got in, in you know, carrying out this type of scientific research that led me forward into the postdoc. So I just like, I wanted to know at the end, so basically you kind of did touch into your motivation for continuing on to academia. So I just wanted to know um, if there were any other options that you were considering and why kind of academia outweighed those other options. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, by the time I got through the PhD, I was quite certain I wanted to do a postdoc. I don't think I even considered any other option at that point. I didn't consider any other option except a postdoc. And so at that point... I basically, you know, went out on my own and tried to secure a postdoc position uh, to the best of my ability. And so I would, you know, apply to various labs, go, you know, one time I even boarded a plane and went to a conference in San Diego just because I knew an individual PI would be there and walked up to him with my, you know, CV and tried to convince him to have an interview right there. Now, that's not necessarily the... The, the steps that everybody does, but um, I was passionate about certain groups research. And so I just kind of took it upon myself to, to try and make things happen. Um, kind of leave nothing, leave nothing to chance. If I wanted something, I went for it. I wasn't ner I wasn't really scared of, of rejection or anything like that, because I think, you know, you, again, in your training, you're used to dealing with adversity, right? Um, and so if I wanted something, I just went for it and accepted the chance that, I might fail, whether that be in an experiment or a research endeavor or an interview for a postdoc. So eventually I did find a group that I was really passionate about that had a, that had a position opening in the States. And, and then I, I pursued that in New Haven, which was about four years. And it was also a fantastic experience, hard, but very rewarding. So what specifically about that group um, and that PI led you to end up choosing to go with them? It was a combination of things. Um, the most important was 
I really liked the projects that they were doing. They were very, it was again, really at the, at the interface of organic and physical chemistry and, and biochemistry with a pharma, with a pharmacology angle. Okay. So it was kind of the science behind a new type of of therapeutic paradigm, this idea that you could develop multifunctional molecules that can bridge natural functional proteins in your body together. And when you bring them close together and hold them there, you can interrogate a lot of cool biological questions and even achieve unique therapeutic outcomes in some cases. And that's really where my kind of passion for chemistry and immunology came. It was in the postdoc, although I actually did take a ton of immunology courses in undergrad. So I, re I remember liking that biology even then. And, and a few of these folks at Merck actually did teach me immunology when I was at Mac. And people in the chemistry department taught me chemistry when I was at Mac. But they don't recognize me. I had a lot more hair then. Yeah, so that was really what enticed me the most. The, the group was actually the, the group members was a, another huge part. I really liked the dynamic of the group members. There was a lot of camaraderie there. Um, they, they kind of functioned as a unit. They took care of each other. They were invested in each other. And I really liked that environment. It was a very real team environment. That's another thing that I, that I liked about research. I mean, it's not always this way, but I always liked the team aspect of research. I thought it was fun to do it with people that are possibly even your friends. Right. And so, you know, we, we forged a really tight bond during the postdoc with the other members there. So it was a combination of the work and the group. Of course, there's the business aspects of it. You know, I thought that it was a good strategic springboard, you know, to be employable. You know, you have to think about those kinds of business aspects to what you're doing as well. Things are competitive. They're only becoming more competitive. I don't want to sound overly idealistic in the fact that you can pursue your dream and everything works out brilliantly at the end because you simply just pursued your dream. There's all, you know, there's other practical items that come up along the way. But I think I think doing what you like doing is a pretty safe bet that you're going to end up at least doing something you like. Do you know what I mean? A faculty position was something that I had my that I was something that I was intent on pursuing. At the same time, I was also, you know, happy with the fact that I was doing what I like doing and, you know, and that there were several possible things that I could do, you know, with that training that I would enjoy. You know, I didn't have everything set on a faculty position or nothing. I had thought about patent law. I had thought about pharma. Did I think about anything else at that point? I'm sure I did. But those ones, those ones come to mind. Yeah, so it was really a combination of the kind of work I was going to do, the atmosphere, and then, you know, taking into consideration what effect all of this would have on my ability to be somewhat competitive in an academic or pharmaceutical career. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, like right. And and also in terms with that, so just going from your PhD into this new postdoctoral position, I guess, in a new country, also having the domain of immunology kind of tie into that. So in terms of kind of bridging your knowledge between um, what you were used to really in your your PhD training and now bridging something, another new domain of science, how was that like for you? What was that experience like? So in the postdoc, so the interesting thing about the postdoc that I did was they were already bridging those two together. I hadn't thought to bridge those two together. That was the environment of the group. It just was very appealing to me. The training that I had in the in the chemical sciences going up to that point and 
already having a real interest in immunology, you know, complemented that lab's program very well and my interests very well. And this had a tumor immunotherapy application, which, um, what year was this? 2013? It was a big area, but nothing like it is now, right? I thought it was really cool. You know, this new, this new type of therapeutic paradigm that used organic molecules that we could make, tools that we could make, you know, that, that bridge biological proteins together at a time where you had this really unique cancer therapy that used the immune system was becoming popular on a global scale. Immunologists knew about it long before chemists did, right? And so for me, it was just a really exciting type of work to do in these, do in these three different domains. So in, you know, involving organic chemistry, involving physical chemistry, pharmacology, immunology, right? It was, it was a, a really nice kind of marriage of those disciplines that really resonated with me, really clicked. So I think this would be like a good starting point to go into some faculty-based questions on your interests budding to combine those different domains um, of science to study tumor immunology. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to pass that over to Eddie, and he can ask you some questions based on your um, faculty experience. Sure. Awesome. Thanks, Dom. Um, so thank you for sharing so much of your, you know, your history in science and kind of how you got to where you are today. I definitely didn't think that you start as a musician. And, and I think we're very thankful that you made the transition to science because oh, we're very excited to see the contributions that you made uh, and the assets that you bring to the center as well. And to kind of start things off, we, I kind of, we wanted to know a little bit of, you know, you, you went to your postdoc in Yale and I could kind of know the answer to this question because it seems like your roots are very much settled in, in Hamilton, mm -hmm. but what kind of led you to come back to Canada and specifically Merck, the Merck Center here at McMaster to establish your first uh, or your initial research lab? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, it was the nature of the work I had done in the postdoc that really prepared me to apply for a position like the one that I applied to at Merck. That was a very unique position, one that I had never heard of and one that I would never have thought to apply to, right? A position for, I think it was formerly a tumor immunologist. Someone like me would have applied to chemistry faculty positions nine out of 10 times. And so when I saw this position come up at McMaster, I thought, oh, this, is a, this would be a great thing to try, to try out for, um, even though they're not asking for somebody with a chemist background. But because we were working in a branch of chemistry that was interested in modulating immune recognition, I put together an academic program specifically for this position where we were able to unify principles of chemistry and chemical biology towards tumor immunology. Of course, the idea of coming back to Hamilton was very attractive, absolutely, but that in itself wouldn't be enough because if you, you know, if you let other factors really sway your decision, in terms of a career trajectory, it can, it can, it can have kind of, you know, pretty dire consequences if you don't really think everything through. And so, you know, there was a couple places in the U.S. that I was very close to, to going to. And, you know, the idea of coming to McMaster in immunology was very appealing. Again, the faculty at Merck, this, you know, Merck is a very tightly knit team oriented group, right? Which is kind of a theme that's, that's kind of emerged in this conversation with you guys today that I'm starting to realize more about myself is that I think I've always been attracted to this kind of team-like atmosphere. 
Whereas some people like to do science completely independently, and that's fine. Um, but I always like doing it as a team. And so I think that the Merck faculty, and of course, you know, the the expertise here in immunology is world class. And I thought, you know, maybe we could build a, a kind of a, a chemical program in the, you know, in the heart of this environment that would be able to address questions in, in tumor immunology in, at a level that, you know, traditional chemists at different departments, universities would never be able to do. And so it was kind of a, you know, it was really, it, it took a few people to really um, kind of think outside the box and really take a chance on something that was largely unprecedented in terms of an academic position. You know, you speak a very different language than than hardcore immunologists, right? When you come from the background that I did. However, once you're able to make that, once you're able to make those connections and bridge that gap, now something really powerful come, can come to the table where you have this chemical expertise that floods in to an immunology department that otherwise wouldn't have been there. So it's um, kind of a gutsy move on a lot of, on a few people's parts to make it happen, but it did. And, and it really has so far kind of come to fruition in the sense that, you know, we, I, we really are bridging gaps between these two monstrous disciplines. And I think it's allowing us to kind of interrogate the biological questions on a very different angle than a traditional chemist or immunologist would have done before um, and bringing in kind of new technologies that are useful for immunology as well. And so the students are getting, I think, a pretty rich multidisciplinary training background, which is an area of, of the sciences that is becoming more and more attractive and more and more useful. I'm not saying everybody should be multidisciplinary. Absolutely not. There's def I think there's definitely a need for specialist disciplines and people to, to work in those specialist disciplines. Absolutely. It's just the kind of science that I had done and, and do for me, multidisciplinary is very attractive in this particular application and realm. I think it's very interesting, the set of skills that your research program brings to the center. Just thinking about the chemist side, that we are, in the, in the immunologists themselves can collaborate with somebody who has a huge chemist, chemist background and can provide a lot of answers to problems that might not be solved through biological means, but also through, for chemists who want to incorporate their tools and, you know, their molecules are developing into a biology sense. Do you find that developing the program that you that you are within the uh, the university i think at least from my personal knowledge you're the only one that i know that's doing this how has that been uh developing that program and what kind of doors has it opened up for you so yeah i mean how, how has it been in developing the program i mean you know when you do something new there's there's a certain amount of inertia you have to overcome right to get to get the ball moving right and so we had to you know, bring in a lot of kind of new type of infrastructure into the center um, to do assays and experiments that you wouldn't typically do here. Um, but we eventually overcame, you know, have we've been overcoming that inertia and now the ball's rolling quite well. And yeah, the lab started to, you know, contribute academic papers now. And, you know, the the students with, with the chemical biology background are now running flow cytometry routinely and um, starting to do in vivo assays and working with a lot of your colleagues that are hardcore immunologists to do some pretty cool science, I think, in terms of doors that it has opened. Well, I mean, you know, j just the, the type of scientists that we are 
that we're working with and collaborating with here at McMaster, you know, that, that just wouldn't have been possible in a different type of, of faculty position. You know, had I, had I been in a traditional chemistry department, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have any idea how to even perform in vivo studies. We wouldn't, we would not be well equipped to perform this kind of, you know, harder core flow cytometry analysis, you know, so now a lot of the, you know, a lot of the chemical assays that we would have done were doing in the context of living cells, right? Because of this, amalgamation with the immunology sciences. So we're, we're doing all kinds of, of interdisciplinary experiments. I mean, asking related questions that would not have, would not have happened had we, had we been in, you know, assumed a more traditional role. And the cost of that is early inertia, but you just, like I said, you know, before it's, you know, it's you doing what you're passionate about that drives you to overcome these challenges as they, as you, as you, fa- as you meet them. And talking more about your research, I was wondering if you can just share with our listeners a little more about the research that you're currently leading in your lab and what you're working on. No, absolutely. Again, you know, you, you kind of build on what you build on your experiences and what you've learned in the in your past training, you know, coupled with your new environment. And, you know, those things really have culminated to us developing, you know, some kind of novel chemical technologies that allow us to gain an enhanced control over how immunological proteins assemble. You know, in its most fundamental sense, that's really what we're what we're doing. We're using biological system compatible chemistries to kind of control how we lock and stack and assemble pieces together. And so you can imagine in an, in an immunotherapeutic context, we can exert enhanced control, let's say, over how long a T cell is in contact with a cancer cell using a chemical tool. We can make things that, that act like antibodies and bridge immune cell and target cells together. We can put spectroscopic handles on things so that we can visualize and get temporal resolution over a process, spatial resolution over a process. And so at the heart of our lab research right now, we are really developing chemical technologies that can interrogate immune protein interactions. Does that make does that make sense? Yeah, that ma- that makes a lot of sense. And we use um, chemical tricks. Sorry, we, yeah, and so we use chemical tools like covalent reactions, where you form an irreversible linkage to a target, or avidity. We engineer molecules with multivalency so that we can zip on and off targets with enhanced control, and use that in a therapeutic setting to exert a certain response or ask a certain question about a system. Is there, I know that you're in the forefront of this development, is there any current therapies out there that are, are further along that are use this technology to treat any sort of cancers at the moment? In the, in the kind of chemical immunology realm, there are the development of small bifunctional molecules that can that can kind of control, let's say, a CAR T cell coming in contact with a tumor cell. So the small molecule bridges the two, but reversibly. So when it's cleared from the system, the CAR T doesn't localize to the tumor anymore. That's probably the mo- one of the most advanced chemical immunology um, applications. There's there's metabolic engineering where you can kind of chemically functionalize a cell surface with binding moieties, so you can kind of control where it goes that it otherwise wouldn't. This has been done with natural killer cells and related. Um, there's antibody recruiting molecules, the stuff that I that I was involved in um, and back in the postdoc where the molecules bind to natural serum antibodies and localize them to targets, um, which you can imagine, you know, it can elicit immune, you know, FC-dependent immune responses against targets, key viral targets or immune oncology targets. So those are kind of a, a few of the more advanced kind of chemical immunology 
therapeutic approaches, they are still in the preclinical setting, largely. I think only now moving into kind of phase one trials and in, in a couple specific instances, but it's still quite new. Yeah, and it sounds like there's a lot of interesting things coming along, especially with, I know a lot of times when we think about therapies, we always think about conventional therapies, and it seems like chemical biology can solve a lot of the problems that we're seeing with just the immune cells alone, you know, um, enhance their targeting or even a bulletstorm yeah. of target effects. I think it definitely brings a, a very kind of unique additional arm to the combination platform. Absolutely. You know, you can have something in the cocktail that's great at eradicating a, 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 an established solid tumor and then, you know, maybe a chemical approach that helps heighten the adaptive response and helps antigen presentation, immune priming, et cetera, clearing distant metastases, you know. Yeah, the therapeutic application is a, is a huge part of, of what we're doing. Awesome. Thank you. And then to kind of wrap it all together, you've, you know, you've done what a lot of people are thinking right now who are doing their graduate studies right now or even their postdoc, which is establishing your own lab. And it's a, uh, it's a very incredible feat. And we just wanted to give our listeners some advice and kind of what should they do if they're planning, if they're planning on establishing a lab, what things should they consider? And if you have any sort of advice for them. So this is to individuals who know they want to pursue a faculty position. Yes. I think, I think it's, I think it's number one to, to definitely make sure that, you know, you're doing it for maybe doing it for the right reasons and that you carefully consider, you know, what it is that makes you tick. And this way you can be sure that you're getting yourself involved in something that's going to be gratifying. Right. And so by that, I mean, you really enjoy the science, the day to day science process. You really enjoy the problem solving. You really enjoy working with students and training students. It can't be because you really want to get a Nobel Prize. Those things, I think, you know, you, you really have to look at those, you know, publications and things of that nature as kind of the fruits of your labor, not the goal, right? Those come as a result of you doing what you love to do. Um, I think, you know, from a, from a business standpoint, I think positioning yourself in an area of research that is likely to be unique and cutting edge um, is definitely going to help. I think networking is huge. I think going to conferences and meeting people ahead of when you're going to be competitive is definitely a smart idea. Um, being open to moving, right? You need to be open to kind of chasing that opportunity when it comes. You know, it's hard, it's hard to say at this point because COVID's complicated so many things for, for, you know, people that are just on the brink of the academic market right now. However, for those that are earlier in this trajectory, maybe at the graduate stage, I think that when the dust settles, I think that a lot more resources and appreciation for science will emerge. And I think that will be great for new budding scientists that want academic positions. I think people have a renewed appreciation of fundamental science. They see what it can do. They see how it can make such a huge impact when, when no one else can really help solve the problem in the world. And now all of a sudden we have these vaccines coming that people like you devised. And so I think it's going to be great in terms of the opportunities that come about for students that are in that phase. But yeah, I think the passion for the work is, is definitely the most important because that's what will get you through everything. That was what will get you through paper and grant rejections, you know, criticisms. It can be tough, right? You're always, you know, in this position, you're, you're always exposed to, to criticism. Which, you know, if you can handle it, you even your worst critic can tell you things that are incredibly useful 
that your friends would never tell you. And I think it's wise to, to kind of take that and use that critique to better your writing, better your, your scientific process, right? Use that to improve yourself. Instead of getting your backup, which is your first in instinct, and even mine, it's to, it's to use that criticism, that harsh criticism to your advantage. And that's, and yeah, I mean, because, you know, eventually if you, if you train yourself to, to a certain level, you're going to get that position and you're going to, you're going to thrive. It's just an issue of, of perseverance. Sooner or later, you, it will come. Do you know what I mean? If you want it bad enough, it really will. That was, very, that was very well said. And then it's it's interesting. My my professor says that your true friends in science are the ones that critique you the most, you know? Yeah. They're the ones, they're ones that call you out or... It takes a lot of energy to give a really good critique, right? And so if somebody's willing to do that for you, there's a chance, you know, there's a pretty good chance that they probably are really gunning for you, right? Because it's much easier to say, oh, fantastic job, Eddie, that was amazing. But to actually take an hour of your time or two or three to really critique something that you wrote or published, that, that is definitely a sign of, of, that can be a sign of friendship or it can be a sign of an obsessed, uh, you know, <laughs> an obsessed enemy who really wants to spend a lot of personal time to bring you down. But yeah, I think that's less, less common. People have their own things to, you know, they have their own lives to worry about. So I think your yeah. professor is probably right. For sure. Okay, and now I think this kind of concludes our discussion about faculty. And then I guess we, we're going to jump really quickly, just brief question about where you're heading for the future and then end it off then. Uh, and I'm just going to pass it back again to Dom, who's going to ask you those last two questions. Absolutely. Yeah, so thanks for that, you and Eddie, going really into how you've brought your chemical experience and really to try and shine a light on some of the like the unanswered questions or start to start answering some of the questions in terms of immunology or specifically with um, cancer immunology. Mm -hmm. So after establishing your lab and really getting your program going and like you mentioned, passing that initial stage of inertia, mm -hmm. what do you see um, your next steps in your career being? You know, our biggest goal right now is really to validate and prove these new chemical technologies that we've been developing and where possible, translate and commercialize these findings, right? I mean, it would be great to be able to generate employment opportunities for people that are trained here, right? So that you don't have to go to Boston to get a pharma job, for example. It'd be great to keep, because, you know, as cliche as it sounds, you know, we really do have world-class talent here. And so it'd be great to be able to, to capitalize on that and leverage that, you know, for the nation's sake, right? So, so we really want to commercialize and translate whatever technologies we find are potentially useful, you know, um, for that reason. At the same time, you know, we are interested in really understanding, you know, how some of these therapies actually function, how we can actually make them work better, you know, how we can generate more durable anti-tumor responses, right? And so by understanding how these drugs work on the molecular level, we can, you know, we can formulate some hypotheses that we can test and try to develop things that are more efficacious. And so those are really the big goals of the platform um, at this point that we're trying to see through. And of course, you know, also to make sure that the students that are here that are trained to get the experience they need and everything that they require to move on, you know, to a successful next step, right? And so we want to graduate some PhDs that are going to, to do some great things. So that's also on the um, on the docket. Yeah, I think that's 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 pretty much the shorter term, next few year goal, is to really validate some of these 
some of these chemical technologies in an in vivo setting. Yeah, I think that's extremely interesting and that's extremely hopeful, especially yeah. for the center and for trainees at the center or and just around the world in this field of um, study. Yeah. So also looking back on everything. So we're going to ask, I guess, our final question. Looking back on everything, starting from three years old, training in classical violin and switching over into sciences and finding your true passion for science and growing in the PhD and postdoc and now in your faculty-based position. So looking back on everything, what advice would you give to yourself when you first started on this journey? What advice would I give to myself? I think, and it's it's hard. I don't know if I would have taken it, but I probably, probably wouldn't have taken the advice. But um, it, I think it really is to enjoy the process. It really, really is. Because, you know, so much time gets wasted by being discontent, you know, by saying, oh, I'm never going to get to this end goal, you know. And then, you know, eventually... You end up doing something, you know, and then thinking back, oh, you know, why didn't I enjoy that more? Why didn't I, why did I take that for granted? Why? Because you can't, you can't do that again. At least I don't think you can. I don't think physics has shown that we can do that yet, but let's assume we can't do it again. You know, you, you don't want to have those regrets. And I think it's important that you really enjoy every day that you're in this because it's really, you know, it's really a great, it's, we're very lucky to be able to, to do the to, to do the work that we're doing, to live these lifestyles. And so I, I would just say to a young version of me not to take anything for granted and to, you know, to really make the most of every day. I think that's what I would say. Because you can't you can't guarantee the future. You don't know what you have in store. Right? But what you can do is really make the most of every day and enjoy what you're doing. Right? And then let the chips fall where they may. Hey, yeah, I heavily resonate. And I think a lot of students and a lot of other guests that we've had on this um, podcast has really resonated with that. Looking sure. back, just enjoy the process Absolutely. and really take time to, as you're pushing through those challenges, just know why you started it in the first place. So yeah. Did you ever read The Alchemist? No, I haven't, well, but I have it on my bookshelf. So I recommend it. It's a, yeah. it's a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. um, I won't ruin the book for you, but uh yeah, so many times you think that, you know, oh, if, if I don't achieve this, you know, my life is over. And that's like never the case. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like when doors close, it's I think almost always better that they did. And you recognize that sooner or later. I don't know why that happens, but it's it's really interesting how if you like what you're doing and you give it your all, you will be happy with the outcome. It may not be the one you planned but I'm certain you'll be happy with the outcome. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Thanks for that advice. And thanks for taking the time out to speak with oh us, goodness. to talk about your journey and really to provide us with a lot of insightful advice. That yeah. was fun. Thank you guys. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. and welcome back we want to thank you once again for staying until the end of the episode and we also want to give a huge thanks to dr rulo for coming in today and just sharing his story for his research career and the work that he's currently doing and for showing us that sometimes there's questions or problems that can be answered through simple biology but that chemistry can be a very elegant tool to address some questions and even some problems that are currently faced by immunologists
We also want to remind you that if you already haven't done so, to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Immunology and Beyond to stay up to date with news of the podcast and new release episodes. We also wanted to encourage you to consider following the McMaster Immunology Research Center Twitter account as you can be kept up to date with all the research that's coming out of the center where myself, Anna, and Dom work at. And for you to follow that, just look up on Twitter at Mac Immunology. And this was your weekly dose of immunology.